welcome. It's episode 12. Anne's going to take it away for us this time. We have a very special yes, guest. Yes, we do. <laughs> so Pasha and I, I think, first met in 2010, so over 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, we met in graduate school, and we were studying mind, brain, and education. And we both had, I think, some entrepreneurial spirit in us, and we did some collaboration even way back then. Um which I really enjoyed and appreciated. And today, over the last 10 years, if I understand correctly, uh, Kasha has just really um, become a curriculum design expert um, within a very specific type of curriculum, the design which she's going to share with us today. And I've always appreciated working with Kasha. She is su pays such attention to detail. She's a deep thinker, and I can always count on her. So... I'm so happy to interview you today. Thank you, Anne and Chantel. Thank you for having me here today. It's so great to be here with all of you. And again, continuing this conversation. And I love how we met so many years ago. And here we are reconnecting in this capacity. So um, my name is Kasha, and I am co-owner of Learning Key Educational Consulting, co-author of Supercharger Professional Learning. And I help subject matter experts and businesses Think about how to design flexible and adaptive curriculum. In specific, we're looking at educational neuroscience and a framework called universal design for learning. So how do we design learning environments that meet the needs of everybody? So regardless of where you're coming from, um, whether you feel like you struggle with learning or you don't, or you need a level of challenge, the question becomes, how do we design a learning environment that is flexible, that is adaptive, like an adjustable car seat that's going to meet the needs of everybody? And how do we do it proactively before we meet the person walking into that learning space? Mm, I love that. So Kasha has been working with Anne and I, it has it been, it's been well over a year now. Yeah. As as a, um, a guest and expert presenter to our nine month um, mastermind uh, coaching program called the Fellowship, and it has been such a treat for me to be in that work with you so deeply. When Anne first brought uh, UDL to the table for our work together, I I thought, oh, it's so interesting. So much of this is the way I already work and think. But it helped me really organize and get clear and then be able to replicate the process. And now, after examining it and working with it and teaching it to other people and then listening and being a part of, you know, learning from you, I find that it, and I say this a lot, like it influences when how I write articles, it influences how I coach and mentor my teachers, it influences how I parent my children. It influences the way I talk to people about what I do. It's been a very um, empowering uh, skill to learn and an area of knowledge to acquire. And I'm, I'm really excited to share you with our community. Yeah, one of the things that I love about Universal Design for Learning or UDL um, for short moving forward um, is this idea that there's this predictability behind variability. And a lot of times when we think about well-designed instruction, right, sometimes that's, um, we think that that was just, oh, good luck or happenstance. And what UDL does is it gives us the vocabulary for why we do what we do. And when you know why you do what you do, you can do it more intentionally. And you're absolutely right. This is how I parent. This is how I think about 
um, everything that I do, it totally shapes. It's not just for the, um, the learning environments, but it truly shapes how you interact with people. When you understand that we are all on a spectrum of human variability, there's no such thing as an average learner. You know, you have more neuronal connections in your brain than there are stars in the sky. And so we can't teach for an average learner. It just doesn't exist. And so it's thinking about how do we design for that wide range of variability proactively. Yes. And the pro the proactively for me is the key because I have always said for as long as I've been a teacher trainer that if your students aren't getting it, it's not because of your student. It's because you're not doing something right. And, and one of the things that I have loved about the UDL work is that we think the way we think about designing curriculum for variability puts the responsibility um, more on the educators, you know, plate, not all on, but we can design for success when we design with variability, particularly in mind. And I, I think that's very supportive of my own particular philosophy about teaching and educating and the reciprocity that has to happen between teacher and student. And I have really appreciated that part in particular, um, rather than just saying it's about the student's desire or skill or motivation, right? Oh, Anne, you look well, like you're going to say something. Yeah. So when <laughs> I first was, um, when I first learned about universal design, I went back to teaching in my Pilates studio and one of the things when I, even when I was learning about it, so before I went back to teaching my Pilates studio, when I was in the class learning about it, I remember for, for people who, who are within the Pilates community or for anyone who might teach in a one-on-one -on -one environment where you're really um, adapting what it is you're teaching to the individual, I found that it, in some ways it was easy for me to think about how to integrate UDL because Pilates from the perspective that I learned it is that it is, it, it does, it is designed for variability. So you can be doing an exercise and, and you can say, well, I want you to do X exercise in the Pilates world. There's an exercise called the teaser, um, which is, can be quite challenging on some equipment and then much easier on other equipment. It just depends on the support that you're given to you. So you could have multiple people working together and some are, are might be using um, an choices that are offer them more support and other students are, are taking making decisions that are challenging them more. And so for me, coming from that teaching background and not knowing UDL and then trying to integrate UDL, although of course UDL is also a curriculum design that supports many students, not just an individual student, it was really easy for me to start to integrate because it 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 wasn't like I was like challenged by a mindset. I was already in an, ind in an industry that was trying to really meet the learner where they're at. So I really liked the ability to um, to apply that right away. Yeah. And I think that one of the great things about UDL is that when we think about, it offers us a lens to think about the dimensions of variability, right? How we move our physical body, right? That's variability you can see, right? And because you see it and you're working one-on-one -on -one with a client, then you're constantly adapting and meeting their needs. 
But then we have all these other dimensions of variability. <clears throat> and many of those things that you can't see, like what's going on in a person's mind, how do they, how are they managing their emotions or their frustrations? Or thinking about how do they get to the Pilates studio on time? Like how are they supporting their executive functioning skills? So that planning, that organizing, what gets them excited? What sustains their effort and persistence? So what keeps them coming back? And so there are all these other dimensions of variability to think about, especially then when you move outside of just the in-person instruction and you move it to online course design as well. How do people perceive information, mm -hmm. right? And so um, just to loop back to one of the things you were saying earlier, Chantel, is that we believe that there's this predictability behind variability. But if people are variable, then the other side of the coin is that there are barriers in the design, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that there's a problem with you or with the instructor. It's that this design isn't flexible enough. And so it's this troubleshooting framework where you're thinking about well, what, what is the barrier and now how can I proactively design for that variability and how people perceive information? How do they comprehend it? How do they act on it and express and engage with that environment as well? Yeah, and I love Anne always talks about that is like taking the blame out of it, right? Like you're not blaming the educator and you're not blaming the learner. You're 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 really putting the the weight or the work on the design of whatever it is that you're trying to deliver. Yeah, I am. Yeah, and really enjoying yeah. us um, getting and diving into this right away. But I don't want to forget our real life riff portion. I know <laughs> this is this is a fun way we like to open, um, and we like to share a little bit about what's in progress and what's in process. And Chantel, are you interested in starting with us? This yeah, week? I'll start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's my book? So I always, usually something that's in process or progress for me is around um, something I'm reading. So I'm rereading this book. Yeah, we should all be millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Um, and I'm just in it. What I love about it is like not new stuff, but it's a s different slant on stuff that, you know, work and stuff I've done before. But I'm just rereading a place where she's talking about like your million dollar vision and the idea of having like audacious enough goals and also having like everything that you want to be true for your life, like how do you begin to experience and embody that right now? And I think we forget that piece. I think we, we, we are so deep in, like most of us are doers, right? We're like, well, I just have to do the dishes and do the laundry and I have to do the posting and I do the marketing and I have to do the, you know, in our case, like we're doing curriculum design and we're doing the fulfillment of our programs. And it's like, well, what am I doing to feel how I want to feel in terms of my life and my success and my financial um, position. And so I've been rereading this section and she's talking about like all these areas of our lives and how can we begin to make this feeling shift, right? Of like living into the thing we want to ultimately experience. And as I was going through, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm good on that category. Like I travel a lot. I buy myself nice things, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to ship out my laundry. I like doing laundry. Um, but I did have kind of an epiphany today um, around very specific things to shift in regards to my money story 
and also the things that like just weigh me down. And so one of the things that I'm doing is hiring a financial planner. So I haven't had one of those in a long time. And um, I, what else did I, oh, I decided to finally hire my accountant to actually do my taxes instead of working on them myself. (laughs) Because I'm in a situation where I'm filing as a married person for the last year for 2021. And my partner is in a place where my parenting partner is in a place where he's like, I can't really afford a lot of things. He just bought a house. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do all the inputting. I'll do all the reconciling. And then I'll just hire the accountant to make sure I did everything right. And I have been dreading it. I hate this kind of stuff so much. And at the end of every day, it's like the thing on my list that I have not crossed off because I cannot bear, I cannot bear to do it. So today I said, look, I will just foot the bill. I don't even care. You do it because that's what my million dollar self would do. She'd just be like, just tell me how much it is because that is something I do not want to have my hands on. So, okay. I love that because I just hired a landscaper and hiring a tax person is next on the list. It literally is my to-do list for the end of the week too, because you're right. When you're spending time doing the things that don't bring you the sense of joy and fulfillment, you're not doing the things that truly maximize your potential. Yes. Right. That yes. are working in the direction that you want to be. Well, it just yeah, keeps so you stuck. Yeah. It feels like, like it just keeps you stuck in the hustle. And it is from the embodied perspective. It's like, I can walk around with the anxiety of, I have to get into QuickBooks. I have to keep paying for QuickBooks. I have to, and I'm going to do all this work and spend all this time, but I'd much rather be doing all these other things that experience in my body literally keeps mm. me stuck in my non-million dollar self. And I'm like, right. forget it. Just forget it, lady. Stop that. It's nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that was a big deal. I was like, all right, you do it. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so and I know you embrace that mentality. I feel like I've heard you say you've really embraced that as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I, I have. I mean, it's funny, like old habits die hard. <laughs> I mean, I have like yeah. been in the zone with Chantel. Um, and 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 I and I kind of want to share. So I guess thank you for sharing your what's in progress and what's awesome. <laughs> I'm yeah. just kind of piggyback on you because I felt that there was a time. So uh last year I had a, a great um, wonderful manager for my studio. And, um, she was a retired bank executive. And I mean, honestly, I hired her and she was almost like a mentor, um, particularly in HR. So I was very lucky. Um, and then she stepped down because, you know, she has other things to do and I have another wonderful manager and I'm super happy, but there was a time in between where I was really doing too much work. And I was having I was having this experience of spaciousness and making these million dollars decisions. And then when kind of the crush of, of work came back, because it just takes time to train, um, you know, I found myself falling back into I, I think in the book, I think she uses the term broke ass decisions. <laughs> I think that's the term. Yeah. <laughs> she and does. So, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny how, you know. And what I like about talking about this and putting this out in the open is like, now that you've said that and made that statement, I'm like, yep, 
um, I'm going to, you know, go ahead and make some more decisions that are more, you know, to the self that I am, am working towards, um, to my million dollar self. So an example, yeah, an example yeah. of that. And one of the things that, um, earlier today I was interviewing, a, a, a new teacher to work at my studio. She's very, um, very, very well schooled. Um, she just moved out here from to Northern California from Brooklyn. And um, I was really sharing with her about like working in our zones of genius. And I was sharing with her about as much as I love to apply data and research to teaching movement, I also like to apply data and research to running to running a business, you know, and doing that well as too. And so um, I think, you know, I feel like I've got a really strong, I feel very strong about talking about the biz, the business and like where exactly I want people and that sense of um, clarity, I think for me is something new and being very clear um, on on the boundaries of the business has also been very clear. And in our industry, a lot of times you had independent contractors. And so it's just taken me, you know, a couple of years to really step into that role as employer and leader. And um, it felt really, really good today to have that clarity and, and to support people within their zones of genius. So I'm, I'm enjoying that. Yeah, it's like what she talks about. She talks about like if you, there's research that was done in the early 20 teens, um, and I'm sure more than that, but she talks about like just how when you wear nice clothes or a business suit, like you feel more confident, you're more willing to step up, you're more willing to like make choices, you're more commanding of the space or whatever it is. I feel like the greater clarity you have, the more willing you are to step up and really meet your business where it is, yeah. right? Then that's that's the million dollar self, I feel like. You feel in yourself the confidence when you come into a meeting like that or a conversation like that. Like you're just going to yeah. handle it. You know, like no matter what, you're going to, you just handle it. So whether you're wearing the clothes or you're cultivating the experience from the inside, which feels equally, yeah. if not more important, there's a huge, it's a huge energetic shift, I feel like. So good for us. Yay. <laughs> so Kasha, what about for you besides hiring a landscaper? Ah, you know, um, so there's so much on the pipeline and I'm thinking, what am I doing personally? What am, where am I advancing professionally? Um, so right now, we are getting geared up to um, do a couple of presentations uh, professionally at the CAST Symposium. So thinking about adult learner voice, and we are really um, expanding our work and thinking about UDL in the health and wellness industry. But personally, I'm reading a book, as if we're talking about books, called Presentation Zen, Mm -hmm. which is a really kind of seminal book on thinking about how you design your slide presentations to really maximize impact and the stories we tell and how do you design it in such a way where your slide designs are not distracting, but they are really compelling. And all of it has to do with emotion. So when you're talking about you, you embodying yourself emotionally and to rise up and to present yourself for your business, Right? What is kind of the emotional story that we tell when we give presentations and when we 
um, what compels people to action. So that's kind of what I'm exploring right now. It's so great. It sounds right up <laughs> Anne's alley. <laughs> sounds like a book I should read. Well, Kasha's a whole wouldn't. other level. Uh, she's an amazing presenter. So it's so fun. I, I, I know yeah. that I have firsthand experience of that when Anne and I, just a little quick tangential story, when Anne and I first started really working together after Harvard, she created her business body brain connect. And I think one of the very first workshops that you gave mm-hmm. was at my studio. Um, and I was so fascinated by her use of like PowerPoint that she had a projector and a slide, the whole slideshow thing. And I was like, never in a million years, I'm never going to do that. Like, it's just never going to be me. And what I do is I buy wherever I go in the world. I'm like, I order it. I have it sent. I go search it out. I'm like, I need a 36 by 52 inch post-it note whiteboard, you know, with paper. And, and, and I need a pack of Sharpies that have as many colors as possible. And I want to be able to stick the stuff on the wall and then I, I draw and write, and then I like literally have people like take a pen, like what's the answer, yeah. write it down, you know? So very different, very different teaching styles. We get excited about different things. Yeah. Well, actually, so when I do in-person workshops, I combine the two. So there's always a slide presentation, but the slide presentation for a workshop is very different from a keynote and the flow. But when it's an in-person workshop, then yeah, we've got the big post-its and the multicolored pens. And <laughs> so that, great. that comes out too. But when it's when it's virtual, it's a little harder to, you know, there are other creative ways to get people to do that interactive work, virtual sticky notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I also know to Anne's credit, she we had an office early on together, this sweet little tiny office. I still have that blue velvet mm-hmm. chair somewhere, the, the, the baby of my blue velvet couch. Um, and we had our little tiny office was covered in post-it notes, big and small. And I think we were working off of, do you remember the name of that great book that Uh, we were using, Anne? Yeah. It was something business design. Um, and I still have it. It was this beautiful, yeah, this big, beautiful book on business design and we would flip through it and it was all about using post-it notes and we went, we went crazy in our planning. It was fabulous. Well, then you should check out presentations then because his whole thing is about drafting everything on post-it notes before you design your slide deck. Okay. So. Maybe I'll love it <laughs> that then. That would be a great transition. <laughs> we'll make sure to put the title and the link in the um, in the show notes. Um, well, that's really exciting, Kasha. So so where where should we start? Do we want to do we want to give people maybe um, a little a little bit more of a sense of what UDL is and 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 how it can be translated like why do they care what does it mean anything to them as as teachers educators or leaders yeah so um when we think about this idea of universal design for learning it really is thinking about creating these adaptive learning environments so we know that there is no such thing as an average learner the idea of average is just a mathematical formulation right and you can't kind of relegate or reduce a person to a number here. Um, and so when we design for average, we tend to design instruction the way that we learn best or the way that we were taught, right? But when you think about the dimensions of variability, we think about 
that people vary in three broad different ways. And that's how do people engage with information? How do they perceive and comprehend it? And how do they act on and express what they know? So those are these three broad principles. And underneath those, there's a lot more nuance and texture behind what engagement or what representation and action expression look like. So we, we think about designing for that very proactively, intentionally ahead of time so that you can design that flexible curriculum that meets everybody's needs. Yeah. So I think like what would help, let's, let's break that down into an example. So share with us yeah. like how you have done that with, with online courses or, or maybe let's, maybe we can share an example because a lot of times like what Chantel and I are supporting teachers with is either designing a online course that is based within movement and then bringing that online yeah, or people who want to lead retreats or workshops and want to bring in a more embodied component to it. But let's kind of maybe start with the first option. So like, because this was an experience our whole industry went through, right? March, 2020, everybody sort of instantly went on zoom or, you know, within a few days, um, and a lot of people found that that didn't work very well, right? There wasn't a lot of like stickiness. People would drop off over time. Um, I've absolutely had, I have a teacher at my studio right now and she still works with all of her students online. Um, and it's working really well because I think that she naturally employs some of these techniques as Chantel was alluding to. Um, I think some really good teachers do do that, but can you kind of share with us like, in an online curriculum design based around movement, because that's what we've been kind of really playing with a lot this last year and exploring together in this um, fellowship. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So I might yeah. expand it a little bit more yeah, to talk that. about health and wellness in general. But, but one of the things that I tend to see when I look at online um, instruction, online learning environments, is that we have as an expert you know, there's actually what we call this curse of knowledge, right? When you're an expert, um, you have all this rich, nuanced, detailed information for how things work. Or, you know, when you're given new information, you can assimilate it. You can kind of figure out patterns. And what I tend to see in online learning environments is that we assume that the learner who's coming into that learning environment has that same level of knowledge. Mm. But you have to think about, how do I design for a novice, right? And so if you come into that online learning environment and you give all the fine grain little details from the very beginning, you're going to lose that person. Mm -hmm. They're going to feel overwhelmed. And when that happens, right, what usually happens is the learner says, oh, I'm not good enough, or I just don't learn, you know, I, I, this wasn't meant for me, and they kind of taper off, right? So we have to think about how do we design a learning environment that brings the learner on the journey with us, right? And that start is starting from the general, um, giving people what I call a conceptual framing, like what is the overall course headed to do? What are your pillars? What are your key components? And then as you go broad, go gradually deeper and then keep looping back into this conceptual framing so that the learner knows where they are versus I, where they are. I love going. that. And as you were speaking, I was really thinking, like, why do we see this happen? I think particularly in the health and wellness field. What I feel like, particularly when there was the sudden shift, 
when everybody scrambled to get online. I think that there was a deep feeling among people who work in the health and wellness field that in-person trumps all, that the the online experience Mm -hmm. is not as good. Therefore, and can never yeah, be. Therefore, good. to compensate that it is not as good, I am going to prove its worth by sharing everything I know with you. And so yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I kind of did that a bit. And I've seen a lot of teachers do that. And I'm wondering, like, how can we start to kind of break <clears throat> that myth apart <laughs> within the UDL framework? Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I want to say that the fact that we've gone virtual has opened up so many opportunities. Like mm-hmm. I have worked with a phenomenal um, movement instructor in New York. Here we are connecting here. I work all around the world. And that's because the virtual world kind of breaks down this financial barrier too, right? For people where you're not charging for flights and it gives you access to things that you might not otherwise have access to. So that's a really positive thing. But I think in terms of how do we break down this barrier that we might have within ourselves, like this impulse to say everything, right? When we know that's not best practice is to really think about um, how do we represent that content? So I like to think of, if you think about this analogy of being at Thanksgiving dinner and somebody's there and is piling on so much food. Maybe this is just my experience, but somebody (laughs) is all there like giving you more and more. And it's like you're, you have so much that you can't even enjoy it, right? So I like to think about a strategy called chunk and chew. You get a piece of information, you chunk it, and then you have time to chew and digest it, right? And so thinking about that in terms of an online course design, we're thinking about how do I take information that I have and put it into like buckets, right? Like all the similar themed topics in one bucket and start from the general and then go specific. So think of it as a funnel. Um, But also we need to think about how do we leverage visuals, right? So we need to somehow design this environment so that people see a visual of where they are. Where is this chunk that they're getting ready to chew on? Is there an icon that we can use to represent that conceptual chunk so that then when they step back, they see like these four or five different visual chunks. And I saw um, in your course, I saw somewhere online that you created that. We just frame. did that. Yeah, that was yeah, where that idea came we from. Just re- <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, we just relaunched the master's program intensive um, in, I think, May. We launched it as the Embodied Course Creators Program. It's still a 12-week program, but we have made a lot of changes and we have done a lot of chunking and chewing. So we've yes. done a lot of chunking and we've done created a lot of space for chewing. Um, and I, I think that's something that we've learned not only from you, but from our experience over time of what people can handle and not being afraid to give them rest time and space and to repeat information. And Anne and I are in this conversation all the time of like, just keep repeating the information giving them different opportunities to integrate, ask questions, take it to another level of understanding. I feel like that that's the chewing phase. And oftentimes, whatever the motivation is for us as educators, whether it is that we're trying to dazzle them with our knowledge to convince them that the online space is valuable, um, 
or we think this is another thing I see is that people feel like they have to entertain Mm -hmm. their audience in order to get attention. So you have to, you know, jazz hands every second of your time in front of the camera, which I am completely averse to. So that doesn't really work (laughs) for me, but it's like, it just becomes like entertainment propaganda and we lose the we lose the essence and the richness of the actual, you know, education. I've totally gone off on a tangent, but I want to go back to one of the things that you said that this idea of giving people time to chew on it and how important it is. So one of the clients that we're working with right now, what we've done in the online course environment is that we have direct teaching and you have time to chew, pause the video and reflect or pause and take this action or do this right before moving on. So that's one segment where we have that direct teaching book. Another way, because people need time to process new ideas, we've embedded another section that is the application section, right? Yeah. Where you see the instructor working one-on-one or with a small group and you had your direct instruction, but the next section is watching application videos. So you not only get it like direct teaching, but then you also see somebody else going through that learning experience. And we call that multiple means of representation. There are multiple ways that you can perceive that information. So whether it's through direct instruction, maybe read this article, watch this video, listen to this podcast, or watch it being applied, this philosophy or whatever it is you're learning with another client. And so people can enter that learning space in different ways. Right. There's lots of ways to get to the same destination. Yeah. I love how listening to you talk, I'm reflecting on the way Anna and I work and I'm thinking, man, we have taken in way more of this than I thought. Like the way we've designed the ECC and the way we work with our teachers now is so, it's been so influenced by this model and by our work with you, Kasha. It's really phenomenal because we do very similar things. We have different language for them. Um, but we do very similar things in terms of um, giving our our teachers opportunities to work in space together, so held container space together, and allowing a facilitator to work with a teacher one-on-one where, while everybody else is witnessing or observing or yeah. taking that in. And we do that in a lot of different ways, not just our coaching calls, but... Um, yeah, so you're doing that live, but you can take that same model and pull it into your online course instruction as well. As a pre-recorded. Yeah. 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 And that's really powerful because you, you know, some people just want to, it's one thing to understand the information, right? But the question becomes, can you transfer it? Can you take what you learned and apply it to a new setting? And so what you're doing by having these pre-recorded segments of somebody, the instructor working with somebody else, whether it's in person, whether it's, you know, just application for anything, right? You're allowing them, creating that small bridge to think about how does this apply in when it's actually being applied, when it's being transferred to a new environment. Yes, yes, yes. Brilliant. So, oh. Oh, no, I think I just, every time I, it's like, I've always loved I just happen to be a movement teacher, but I just love to teach, right? And so people, I, I just get yeah. so excited about these ideas. And I think that a lot of people who, of course, I love Pilates and I love connecting people to their bodies and 
problem solving that occurs within our within the type of Pilates and the way I've taught it for so many years. But um, it's just how I've I've applied that also to leading my teams and things like that. So if a lot of times if a if a teacher comes to me and says, well, there's a problem with this, I can say, okay, well then what is this, what is the system? What is the design? If if I think of my studio as having a curriculum design that allows it to flow, or if Chantel and I are struggling with something within the master's program and there's there's a challenge, you know, we're not saying, well, you know, that's your problem or that's my problem. It's just like, how can we support the systems? Um, and I just, I don't know. I just, I just get all excited about it. So. I, I like to think of this in terms of asking yourself, so what is in the locus of your control, right? Like, so if we play this blame game and we say, well, it's the learner's fault or they're not motivated or mm-hmm. it's my employee's fault, right? You don't go home with your client. You don't go home with your employee. <clears throat> so we have to ask ourselves, well, what is in the locus of our control? And it's the design of the instruction. It is the system. It is the container, as you call it, right? Mm-hmm. So what <clears throat> can we do about that, that to make it more flexible to address the need or the problem of practice that we're experiencing? Yeah, yeah. I like what you said in the very beginning, Kasha, you were talking about UDL being kind of the, I don't know if the word you used was framework, but it's like, it, it really creates an opportunity for us to problem solve. And I have found that to be really true. And what I have also found is it allows me to take the blame off of myself as like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not doing a good enough job motivating my teachers or my students I get to, it gives me a chance to like step back and see the way I translate my passion and my knowledge through this lens of UDL. And I can go, okay, I, am I not doing enough scaffolding or what sometimes we would call like wedging in the beginning, right? Of giving plenty of, plenty of opportunity for students or teachers to know what to expect, right? So that they can ease their way in. They can get comfortable with the, the container that we're providing, whether that's the in-person container via Zoom, um, you know, the live container via Zoom or the pre-recorded material that we're delivering or the educational platform that we're using. Like, how are we, how are we supporting them in entering into their relationship with us in a way that is supportive, um, uh, not just of the average learner or Sometimes I think what we do, and you spoke to this a little bit, the way I interpret it is like this higher mind perspective, right? If we're teaching way up here because we have this knowledge, but we're not really, we're not really dropping down and, and teaching from like beginner's mind, right? And easing people into it. Yeah. So it's just given us tremendous perspective, which is fabulous. You know, the other thing that I really appreciate about UDL is this idea that we're working towards developing expert learners, learners who know how to learn, right? And so we don't want to be the ones constantly sitting there and hand-holding and saying what to do, why, you know, when to do it. We want that sense of autonomy and purpose to come from within, from within the learner. And so when we think about designing for that, um, expert learners, we actually have to do that. We have to give some of that autonomy, some of that agency in order for that 
expert learner mm. to emerge. And I loved that concept of expert learner. It just, with the work that I was doing with Chantil and her speaking about, I think it's like student, student-centered teaching, which is different than, than UDL. It's not the same. But that concept of expert learners, it's like, it's because a lot of times we're like, well, I'm an expert teacher. Well, can you create an expert mm-hmm. learner? <laughs> right? And, and when you do that, right. you're not pulling and pushing them and like trying to motivate them, right? Expert learners are part yes. of being an expert learner. Part of the definition is that they are self-motivated. Um, and so I've just right. loved that. So a lot of times, like when I think about when Chantelle and I are designing a new course um, or a new offering or we're redigging into one we've created, we're like, okay, well, what can we do to support our learners to be more experts, to be more, um, I'm trying to think, oh, look, I have it here, <laughs> trying to be more um, goal-directed or strategic or resourceful or knowledgeable, right? Like, how can we get those students to really lean into that? One of the things, I just took a note because I was thinking about this, within the health and wellness field, a lot of times when we're designing an online course, I feel like there's this challenge spot and you can experience this either within an online course design or with an in-person course design, or even if you're just teaching is most times we have homework, right? We have things that people need to do on their own outside of just meeting live, right? Whether that's an appointment in in an in-person environment or in an online environment. So would you mind sharing, um, just some of your, maybe some of, I might call it like some of the frameworks in which to think about how do we get people specifically within the health and wellness field to take some agency about essentially that behavioral change to, to, to motivate them, um, to do, you might want to say like the homework that we're asking them to do. Yeah. And I I think that one of the neatest ideas that comes from UDL is that if we want our learners to behave and to do something in a certain way, we have to design for it, right? Like we can't just assume they're going to do it. So when I think about like this transfer, this application, right, where all this implementation is where the transformation happens. Yes. Right? You can't just sit there in knowledge that's not power. Implementation is power. You're getting there. And so when I think about how do we design for it, we so often are the ones who are setting the goals. Here is the goal for this session. Here is the goal for this. But are we embedding intentional opportunities for learners to set their own goals, to create their milestones? Are they committing to it? Um, Are we giving them time to reflect on their progress? where were you versus where are you now? So how often does a client come into us and they say, well, I haven't really progressed. You know, I don't, I don't see any change in my body. And you're like, wait a minute, let's think back to when you came here on day one and where you are now. Right. So we have to intentionally call those moments out. And I think another part of this work, and I know it's a big part of your work too, is helping people understand their why, right? Like it's not, your goal isn't just to exercise five times a week. There's there's a reason why that's going to propel you to action, to be able to lift up your children, to be able to, uh, you know, 
work in your garden or whatever it is. You got to get embed those reflection opportunities and those moments for setting goals for that to actually mm, happen. I love that. So it's like, so maybe if you're asking someone, okay, so I'm so glad we worked on this within this live session experience. Now, you know, cause in our world, it might be like, okay, so now I want you to go home and here's X stick figures I've drawn out for you. <laughs> I want you to go like, do these exercises. <laughs> I mean, that's what it used to be, right? Now we might take a video of the client yeah. doing the movement, but I can't, I don't know if I ever asked the student like, hey, which of these exercises felt best to you and which ones might you want to practice at home? Yes. Yeah, I feel like that's a big missing piece. And uh, we were just, it's interesting because we just launched a new program called Dynamic Education and Movement. And it's our its our kind of most accessible program um, to date. And we're doing a lot of this because our one of our number one priorities is integration. And so we have, we deliver a 90 minute seminar at the beginning of each month. And then we have three weeks of reflection digging application, kind of subtle light, like revisiting the material, bringing to the surface different aspects of the material, engaging the students, the teachers, getting them to ask their questions. Um, And then in the fourth week, it's an integration assignment. It's a very specific thing that we are asking them to do in terms of translating their, their new knowledge and their three weeks of swimming in it and chewing on it into like, now how is it going to work out for you? Like, how are you going to put it into practice? But I think what we're missing, and I just, I'm also taking notes. Oh my gosh, you, we should, you should be charging us, Kasha, for this podcast <laughs> interview, is asking the teachers, given the new knowledge, what is your goal in terms of integrating the new knowledge? Like, how do you see this benefiting you in your teaching and what's the number one or first step you're going to take to do that? Um, and I yeah. think, yeah, our teachers are asking always questions about how to get people to do their homework. And I think this is not something that we do typically. We don't typically say, tell me what you love to do and we'll make that your homework. Or what is the priority for you given your experience in the last, you know, session or four sessions and what do you want to bring into your life? What feels most accessible or doable for you? Rather, we work from this place of I'm the expert. I'm going to create a walking program for you and I want you to do it 10 times, you know, and people are like, and then the whatever, all the levels of resistance come up. And then we feel bad as the teachers because our people are not adhering. Yeah. And I I love this idea because what you're doing is you're tapping into that learner voice, right? And that's where you give that agency. And how do you get to expert learning? It's by tapping into that learner voice, right? Like how can you expect a learner to be purposeful and motivated when everything is you're being told what to do, right? There needs to be this conversation, that this communal energy coming together. Like you and the instructor, the learner and the instructor coming together. But another way to think about this, because we know that variability is the norm, right? We should expect it, um, is to think about that some people will say, well, I don't know. I I don't know what my goal should be, right? right? Like, I don't know where I I need to be headed, right? So that's something to think about. 
And in situations like that, what I would say is to give options. So you yes. might say, we, this is the general space that we are working in, right? Here are three potential avenues that you could apply this learning. A, B, C, which one resonates most with you? Which one do you want to choose, right? So it's a very scaffolded and structured, you know, way of guiding the learner to where they need to be. And yet it gives them some of that autonomy and some of that agency as well. Yeah, there's something we talk about in the work that Anne and I do uh, that stems from motivational interviewing um, and asking open questions. And if a teacher is new to developing open questions and integrating that into their into their teaching, the student is really confused and caught off guard, right? When you say, you ask them an open question and, and you're expecting some kind of reflective or well thought out inquiry response. And most students are not used to that. And so they'll just say, I don't know the answer to that, or I don't know what you're asking. You know, there's various levels of resistance. And yeah. what I always tell people is you've got to guide them, right? You've got to, you've got to give them some framework to answer your question, because if they're not used to even asking themselves, they, it's like, they don't know, there's no ground to stand on. So I love, I love that. And I find that to be really, really powerful that just giving them some scaffolding, as you said, you know, some ideas of where to start rather than like, I don't know, I'm in the ocean and I don't know how to swim. What are you expecting of me? Right, right, right. Mm. Well, we appreciate you coming on with us today, Kasha. Do you feel like over this time, I feel like health and wellness is, um, a, but you've been in it for a while now, but a little bit, a little bit more of a, a newer playground for you. What are, what have you enjoyed yeah. or how have you, I guess what I'm curious about is maybe within the health and wellness field, just from the work you've done so far within the framework of UDL, I, I don't know if this is true, but I, I maybe I imagine like some industries are a little, have more opportunity for growth here. Other industries have more opportunity for growth here. Like, Within the health and wellness industry, where do you feel like, or have you seen any trends within the UDL framework that? Thank you. Um, like positive trends? Or I want to hear both if you've got the time. Or... <laughs> yeah. I think that would be more interesting. Yeah. So I, you know, I think that the, one of the biggest trends that we see is that everybody's moving online and that is so exciting. And I think that that's such a beautiful trend because you are reducing barriers by doing it that way. Like you are thinking about inclusion and you're thinking about accessibility and offering opportunities for people working around the world that might not otherwise be possible. Um, so when we talk about UDL, we also think about that access. The access is a huge piece of equity. And I think that the virtual breaks down um, some of those uh, barriers towards access. Um, but I think that also one of the biggest areas that I think that we need to think about and growing is thinking about how do we design for people from all walks of life. So when you're in an online environment, are we thinking about accessibility on another dimension? Are we offering closed captioning? Do we have transcripts? Do we have, um, do we embed various supports so that if somebody 
doesn't know the language or the vocabulary of the work that we're working in, right? Is there a glossary? Is there a deep dive? Is there a speech to text available? And offering those supports. So not just assuming, well, I don't, that's just not my client and not, you know, but just thinking about, well, I also like to listen to things on audio as well. Can I embed that aspect into my online instruction as well? And not just make the assumption that somebody will or will not need it. And that's what the power of UDL is. It's really thinking about that variability ahead of time and you make it available. And if somebody needs that support, they use it. And if they don't, they don't. I, yeah, I'm a big highlighter. So I'm like, if there's a transcript, I'm going to print that thing out and highlight it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you know, and I know we're wrapping up, but that boils down to this idea of what is essential for some is good for all, right? So that transcript is going to be essential for somebody whose native language is not English or who's, you know, you're working with somebody internationally, but it's good for all of us, Mm -hmm. right? And that's where the power of UDL comes in is where you are designing for learners in the margins, the people who need the most support and the greatest level of challenge, and we're making it available to everybody. And when we do that, everybody does better. Everybody does better when we embed those supports. Yeah. Yeah. Breaking down obstacles and overcoming objections. Well, thank you so much. Well, yeah, I see this as potentially a part one. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> maybe so we'll have to talk about. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have a part two or three or four. It's so much yeah. to talk about and really such a pleasure to have you, Kasha, and to share you with um, our community. Is there anything that you'd like to tell people in closing about how to contact you or about your book or if they're interested in your work? How, how would they go about finding you? Yeah, you can find us online um, at learningkeyworks.com. So the works has an S to it. And then on social media, usually I'm at Kasha. So that's spelled K-A-S-I-A underscore UDL works. Okay, great. And we'll also put that information in the show notes along with maybe the link to your book and oh, yes. also yes. The, the book that you um, are currently reading, res- Presentation Zen? Zen? Yep. Okay. Presentation Zen. Great. Yep. Perfect. All, All right. right. Well, thank you for so joining much. us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we'll see y'all soon. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Well, as always, we'd like to say a big thank you for your time and attention. We know how precious it is. We love hanging out with you and serving this amazing community of inspired leaders and educators who desire to make a bigger impact and bring their whole selves to this awesome party. We hope you are leaving feeling a little inspired, refreshed, maybe even excited and a little bit giddy. The absolute sweetest and most powerful thing you can do to support this not-for-profit, minimally sponsored podcast is to tell us how much you love us. And there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can leave us your comments and reviews on iTunes or YouTube. Both are better. And if you didn't know we have a YouTube channel, now you do. Or by sending us the occasional love letter to embodiedbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you'll keep asking, how do I want my business and my life to feel?